0: Welcome aboard. We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime. Ready when you are, CB. Action. Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 157. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss Luca. We mentioned Oh, we mentioned last week that we're catching up on some of the new Disney films from 2021. It is Luca's turn. This one was meant to be released in theaters. Of course, it got pushed. And eventually, we got it for free on Disney+, Plus. which at the time, actually, you and I were sort of critical of that because so much work goes into these films that they really should be given their due on a theatrical screen on a movie screen
1: absolutely you know what's funny though since this happened if you notice the pattern of what disney plus is giving us for free it's all the pixar stuff they did soul which at the time we were like okay it's a christmas present that's nice yeah luca for free but everything else black widow cruella jungle cruise it had the theatrical slash premium release
0: yeah i didn't even realize that until you pointed it out to me just now
1: i realized it uh earlier this week and i was wondering if that's more of a hat tip to pixar because they know that the films are going to do well anyway um but I, I kind of err on the side of it's a snub because why wouldn't you give them the opportunity to make their box office dollars?
0: I'm wondering if this has to do with with the cut of the box office that the actors are supposed to get like what I'm saying like does Maya Rudolph have in her contract that she gets a part of the gate for Luca the same way that Dwayne Johnson gets something Scarjo gets something I'm wondering if that's why it was easier for them to just, throw this onto Disney Plus as opposed to... Re- I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's an interesting observation. You're, you're completely right. But in any case, I think we still think, it's still our belief, that the animators, the people that worked on the film, should have gotten the opportunity to see this in the movies. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to get into it. I- I'm really excited to talk about this because when the trailers came out, we kind of, like, didn't know, right? We didn't really know what to make of it when we saw the trailers because I feel like they didn't really give you much in the previews.
1: Well, it was such a slow burn because they gave you the teaser and you see this gorgeous Italian town that they've created. And I was like, okay, here for this. And then you see this Italian summer. You see these young boys hanging out. And by the fi- by the time they finally gave us... The sea monster element, it just came completely out of nowhere. It totally caught me by surprise.
0: It caught you by surprise, but does it feel like it's forced into the movie or does it flow naturally? That is what we are here to discuss today.
1: This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs.
0: It's 1959, and we meet Luca, a sea monster who dreams for more than a life farming under the sea. Under the sea. Uh, he becomes Valencia Silencio intrigued.
1: Bruno, do your plot. He-
0: Well done. He becomes intrigued by the land monsters, quote-unquote land monsters, after finding their relics under the surface. He meets Alberto, a rebellious know-it-all sea monster, who lives above the surface and convinces Luca to come to the surface, where they transform into human form and try to build their own Vespa, which they believe will give them freedom. While the boys enjoy themselves, Luca's parents catch on to his sneaking off and tell him that he is being sent into the deep with his strange uncle, Ugo, but Alberto tells him they can go to, quote-unquote, Vespa Town to be free. They swim to the seaside village and meet... um Ercole Visconti, a bully and reigning champion of the Portarosa Cup, despite being too old to compete. They also meet Julia, a young girl who is set on defeating Ercole. So she invites them to join her team and stay with her and her fisherman father as she believes they are runaways. They help her father Massimo catch enough fish to pay for their entry fee into the race, and as Julia gets closer to Luca, Alberto becomes more and more jealous. Meanwhile, Luca's parents arrive and search high and low for him. Julia begins to show Luca that Alberto doesn't know everything, and Luca shows interest in going to school and learning more about the world, much to the dismay of Alberto. Alberto exposes himself as a sea monster, but Luca turns his back on him since he wants to go to school. Shortly thereafter, Julia sees that Luca is also a sea monster. That night, Luca finds Alberto to make amends and learns that he was abandoned by his father, so Luca promises to win the race and buy the Vespa so they can be free. During the race begins to rain and the boys are exposed to everyone as sea monsters. Ercole... I keep wanting to call him Urkel. Erkel <laughs> tries to hunt them down, but Julia's father protects them, and they are declared the winners of the race. The boys get their Vespa, but Alberto sells it so Luca can go to school after his parents agree to send him. Alberto stays behind to work with Massimo as a fisherman.
1: Before we dive in here, pun most definitely intended, um... You mentioned before, does the sea, ele- the sea monster element feel forced? Mm-hmm. I think after we were so intrigued by that trailer, this film became very controversial. So I want to kind of put this out there now so we can keep it in the back of our minds because I think this is sort of going to play a big part in our discussion. People are either loving this film or they're hating it. They think it's either super charming or they don't get it. So I think what we sort of need to keep in the back of our minds is that Pixar has been slowly taking a turn here. And this is where I feel like it lands. We've had films like Onward and Soul that are not these soul crushingly sad, emotional Pixar films that we've really grown up on and come to know and love. And We're seeing a lot more, I think, sort of logistical character growth as opposed to emotional. And I think that that's the big gripe about this film is that it doesn't have that classic Pixar sucker punch. And for the people that don't like it, I think that's the reasoning. So just something to keep in mind as we're breaking this down.
0: Yeah, um... Well said. Okay, let's, can we just, before we get started, because you feel that that's why people who were critical of the film were critical, and perhaps you're right, I would like to address the mermaid in the room.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about as far as, like, black and white. There is a lot more, there's a lot more layers to this train of thought, either like it or hate it.
0: I mean, could you call this movie The Little Merman? Kind of. I mean the the comparisons between Luca and the Little Mermaid I'm not okay I'm not going to say that it's the same movie because I know that it isn't the same movie but if you really look hard enough at times it kind of does feel like the same exact thing
1: I wouldn't say the same exact thing, but I think that the under the sea beginnings, they should have taken a lot more care to differentiate from The Little Mermaid. Specifically, now, let's not forget, Little Mermaid is my jam here. For those of you who are new to the show, hi, welcome. Little Mermaid was the first film that we reviewed on Monoreal Radio. And um, part of the reasoning is because that is my favorite Disney movie. We grew up in the Renaissance era and... We hold Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King in very, very high regard. So when something seems like a blatant ripoff, oh, yeah, we're going to call it out. Uh, What got me more than the obvious parallels is when Luca says, mom's going to kill me. The delivery of that line is almost verbatim when Ariel realizes she missed the concert and goes, oh, my God, my father's going to kill me. It's so similar, it's ridiculous. So I think that they should have done a lot more to separate themselves from the jump.
0: Yeah. I mean, going from living a life under the sea to wanting to be on the land, going from being a mermaid to a human, going from being a sea monster to a human, while their transformations are completely different and they happen for different reasons... We're not calling them dinglehoppers, but we're collecting things from the surface. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can... I mean, at the, at the root of it, you could say, well, anybody dreaming of anything in any movie could be Ariel. But the the comparables here are almost too close. If If I didn't know that this was a coming-of-age movie based on the director's own childhood mashed with... Italian folklore, when it comes to the sea monsters that people believe lived off of the Italian Riviera, I would say this is uh, The Little Mermaid for boys.
1: And you know what's very funny? Is that that's what stands out to us more than the fact that the trailer set us up to believe that these boys fell into the sea and found out they were sea monsters. Right. That's really where it led you. For sure. The way that this film starts... You, got, you have to completely put the trailer out of your mind because it's so different. They just took one little teeny tiny slice of the movie and used it for the trailer. Gave us nothing on story. So this is not at all what you're expecting and that's where it's sort of disappointing where it does feel like a carbon copy of The Little Mermaid.
0: Okay, so let's go to the start of the movie. Um, the, Italian, the old Italian music that opens it
1: Setting this in 1959 was the most brilliant choice, especially for the music.
0: The music helps give the film so much of a setting. Yes. I mean, the setting, you know what it is? Because you've seen the Italian Riviera. And other than some decay from the salt water and the salt in the air... The architecture now is the same as it was then. It's just more weathered now. So you, I feel like you needed something else to put us in the 1950s, early 1960s. Just showing it to us wouldn't do enough because that entire region really is very much like going into Disneyland. It's a time capsule. So I feel like they needed it and they knocked it out of the park by incorporating this music. And I think it, it really did a good job of introducing us to the setting and setting up the entire film.
1: I completely agree. And Disneyland is spot on. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think, though, the way that they set up the story here, I feel like the film overall could have benefit from a mean sea monster lurking in the depths and collecting off of the fishermen. uh, And maybe giving the sea monsters a bad reputation and then Alberto and Luca could potentially spend the rest of the film trying to debunk that myth
0: it would have been an interesting story I don't think the story that we have here isn't interesting I just think that some of it is not really explained you know I I can I can live with the fact that this is a coming of age film it's about characters that want more which, I, I'm getting it's it's getting a little tropey, it, you know. Here we are now into year three of Monorail Radio. I've never said that it's tropey, but it's it's a little tropey. Um, well, that's true of
1: any movie, not just a Disney movie. I mean, Disney movies will your main character will more overtly say it, but. Any story needs to start out with a character that
0: wants something. That's what drives the narrative. You can start with a character that wants something, but this whole, oh, there has to be more for me in this world.
1: But I don't know what it is yet. All right, I'll give you that one. I will give you that one.
0: This is formulaic in that aspect, um, but a lot of things don't get explained. I want to talk about the change. You know, the first time we saw this movie, I walked away saying they never explain why any of this happens. When we watched it again, the first time, because we've seen this movie three times now. We watched it again the other day, the first viewing with fresh eyes to talk about it today. And all all they do is mention the change. You've done the change, Grandma. Well, what is the change? Why does it happen? And why are we so afraid of it? Why why is it such a taboo thing? If if it happens naturally, it would imply that they're supposed to do that. But we don't explain where it comes from, why it happens, and why it's frowned upon.
1: I think that's where they should have maybe leaned into setting more because the town of Porto Rosso is known for hunting these sea creatures. So I think if you instilled that fear in Luca, I mean, yeah, then it would be more of a little mermaid ripoff. Don't go up to the surface. It's dangerous. But I think that you're right. It wasn't just enough to know that the sea monsters had been hunted and sort of well, that's the thing. Were they forced into hiding or has it always just been that way? I think that if they had used Puerto Rosso as, you know, the the most captured sea monsters, there's more of a reason to stay away from it. And that also could have lent itself into what happened with Alberto's father. We know that he doesn't have parents. I think we can assume that he was captured and killed. But I think that that whole storyline could have deserved a bigger explanation, especially if we had found out about it earlier on. I think that should all be establishing and part of the character development because then Alberto has more of a reason to want to go and leave his little island other than, you know, sort of taking that first step
0: at healing. Right, because all we know towards the end of the movie is Alberto says... My dad left. He said I was old enough to fend for myself. And that's it. It's just, it, that's it. That's the whole thing. Right. We don't know what happened to his mother. I mean, it's a Disney film, so one's getting clapped. We know that. <laughs> but we don't know why. We don't know what happened. So it could be that she was hunted and the father couldn't take it and he had to leave and said, well, kid, you're on your own. You're old enough. I don't know. Like, there's just, there's a lot of backstory here that they do didn't set up, and never fleshed out.
1: What I do like is the use of the word land monster, because I think that that sort of, it doesn't cover it, but it at least gives us a glimpse into what's going on. It sounds so jarring and so awkward, but it's actually a great metaphor for this idea of the other. And I thought that's maybe what was being set up a little bit, but it doesn't really go anywhere
0: yeah and i know i'm kind of i'm kind of jumping forward here but while we're on the topic of things that aren't going everywhere because the movie does a lot of things really well so i i think that it's um i think that it's only appropriate that i throw this out here now and maybe we get some of this out of the way before we go and talk about the things that they did do right bruno has no significance silencio bruno who is bruno what is bruno
1: who cares I, I love that.
0: I love it, but. It, Bruno's but why? whatever
1: you're afraid of. And you're just going to stare it down. I, I love that whole idea. I think it's a great message to send to kids. Uh, I think it's catchy. It could have been Silencio Mario. Who cares? It, it could have been anything. I, I love it.
0: Would it have carried more weight if Bruno was Alberto's father's name?
1: That being confirmed would have been nice, yes.
0: You know, if they would have kind of villainized him a little bit because the thing that you're afraid of or the thing that you think is going to hold you down, if he took that and he sort of weaponized it to motivate himself to keep going. Even more effective, I'm just wondering who Bruno is and why we say Bruno. You know what I'm saying? Like, for Disney and Pixar, especially with the amount of Easter eggs that Pixar dumps in every single movie... That sort of seems like a pretty logical plot point to build on, and they didn't. And I'm kind of wondering, as I'm thinking this out loud, how much ended up on the cutting room floor that we never saw. You know what I'm saying? It's just there are a few things. Just in what we have talked about in like the last, say, eight or nine minutes, I feel like there are a lot of things that are missing from this movie that could very easily be answered. And I'm just surprised that for a studio that takes such care with their films that they just overlooked all three of these things.
1: I don't think so because for the genre, this is very much sort of how it goes. This also plays into that love it or hate it fan reaction to this film. These Italian movies were known for being sort of that slice of life and, and less of a beginning, middle, end kind of a story. And the director, Enrico Casarosa, he is Italian. He was born and raised there and then came to the United States to pursue his career in film. So the same way that I imagine you know, him growing up and remembering his summers as a boy in Italy how that heavily influenced this film, I have to imagine the media that he was consuming also influenced the overall story and the overall aesthetic of the film. And I also think that it may have a little bit to do with Americanizing
0: these films. That could be. I mean, that's true, right? If he grew up in Italy, it's like it's like if a kid watched... George Lucas or Steven Spielberg and they tried to emulate them, God knows in Burton how many people have tried to emulate him. You see all these film school kids. It is possible that he sort of developed a style that he wanted to emulate based on what he had grown up with, what his influences were, and he tried to make it work here. Um, All right, let's go back now. Let's talk about The Slice of Life because I love the setting and I love how we get introduced to Luca and his family. I love the whole Bronzino thing with Mrs. Bronzino. So funny. It's funny when his mom is constantly trying to one-up her. That I thought was very funny. It's kind of that neighborhood bickering thing that you've seen, again, played out in a thousand movies. But in this case, they sort of do it in their own way here, and it works. But I also like when... Luca keeps going back to speak to her and apologizing and then going back to her and then apologizing again because he is just such a polite young man that doesn't hold anything against her even though it's his mother's rival. I think it did a really good job of introducing us to a character that we are supposed to fall in love with and quite honestly, one of the great successes of the film is they made him very likable very early on.
1: For sure. Luca's very endearing. And I think what pushes that even further is the relationship with his grandmother, who I love.
0: I love the grandmother. I think she's great. You know, the fact that when he's sneaking away at first, when his parents catch on to it, she covers up for him. Right. Says that she sent him to go find uh, sea cucumbers and he and they have that little wink to each other. Because everybody's grandparent did that, right? Gave you the gave you the candy bar and said, don't tell mom and dad. Or gave you an extra soda and told you, don't tell mom and dad.
1: For sure. I think in Italian culture especially, like your grandparents are your best friends. And they will give you whatever you want. And your parents will never find out about it.
0: Mine used to hit me with a tennis shoe. But <laughs> you know, we could go with your thing too. <laughs>
1: uh, that is something though, I wish they had taken one step further. Like, granted, we're not in Rosa yet. This is still an Italian family, right? Uh, And Italians are known for being close, to a point of being overbearing almost. And I think that that is demonstrated with the mother, very much so. But what I was surprised at was how much of this film is not centered around food. And I really thought we were going to start here with a classic table scene and it was going to hit so much harder when Luca decides to leave home. I mean, you know, did I expect them to be making pasta under the sea? No, but I did expect them to blend the culture a little bit more. And this is something that I'm probably going to repeat. So forgive me. It didn't do it as well as Coco did. When you think about blending the cultural elements into the story. Uh, I realize this is different because we are going for more slice of life, but it was very surprising that they missed that beat.
0: For sure. Coco did such a good job of giving you, not just the slice of life, but really for people that were not familiar with and some of it is watered down, of course, um, but introducing you to Mexican culture and what their beliefs are, especially on the Day of the Dead. Here, you're right. They don't do it quite as well. I'll be honest with you. I think I think the dialogue in this movie is better than the dialogue in Coco. I, I have voiced my opinions of what my critiques are with some of the at times, lazy and sloppy dialogue in Coco. Um, but I think when Coco came out, I think it almost put... like it, it put an unfair expectation on any film that came out after it that was set in a setting that we hadn't seen before, right? It's not Andy's backyard, but at the same time, it's not a castle with a princess. Disney and Pixar have been trying to spotlight different countries, different cultures, different ways of life more and more and more in their films, and, and we're seeing that even more Is as more movies are coming out, I think everybody just assumed that this was Italian Coco, and that's not at all what it is.
1: Well, I think it's also the case of Coco setting the bar fairly high. high. So high. It's a perfect film. I love it. I know you have issues with the dialogue, but speaking of which, I disagree. I know that you didn't like the dialogue because you thought that Coco contradicts himself in one
0: scene. No, it was a, it was a couple. It wasn't. A, <laughs> there was one that was the most egregious. Why should you take anybody's side? Take my side. I I couldn't
1: think of what the line was, but I knew you. I'll never it in, forget so it because I, it there.
0: so upset me when that happened. Because there were a few instances where things like that happened, and I thought this should be the greatest Pixar film ever made, and I just cannot get past some of this dialogue.
1: That's not the dialogue that I'm talking about. I think that Coco did a better job of blending the Spanish and English together, whereas here we have phrases like Santa Mozzarella. Yeah. Really? I've never in my life said that.
0: Well, nobody has.
1: Well, no, I say a lot of other choice Italian words if I'm going to have have a moment.
0: But yeah, Santa Mozzarella. No, it's... You yeah. can do
1: better than that.
0: Yeah. It would be like if in Coco... Uh, they were just like, "Holy guacamole!" You know what I'm yes, saying? Like, it, yes. but you're right, and and they never really got to that point, not at all. Um, and there's very few people in this film that actually have an Italian accent, which is also sort of an interesting choice when you set a film in Italy. But hey. To each his own. Let's, all right, let's 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 stop comparing it to Coco and the Little Mermaid and let's just focus in on what we've got going on here.
1: Okay. Are we out of the water yet?
0: We're out of the water because we get introduced now to Alberto. And I gotta be honest with you, from the minute we meet him, he just seems sheisty, right? His know-it-all thing gets old really fast. I, at first... First, I thought, well, maybe he's a know-it-all, but it's in, like, a comical sense. You know what I'm saying? Like, But I know he's not, like, a dim-witted antagonist, right? You've seen it before where some of these villains think they've got every... Like, Horace and Jasper have everything figured out, right? And they're just completely off the mark. Um, And I kind of thought maybe they were doing it for comedic purpose, but... After a while, it just felt, I'm not going to say it was boring, though, I mean, it kind of made for a boring, it made for a boring character, and it just felt a little forced after a while.
1: I agree with most of what you said. Uh, He felt, Feels a little Lampwicky to me, which yeah. I didn't intend to go and compare this to another Italian film, but um, that's just who Alberto sort of reminds me of—is the slightly older, thinks he's wiser character that tries to that just wants a sidekick, and is not necessarily an antagonist to our main character, because ultimately Lampwick doesn't bring Pinocchio down he puts him in the wrong place at the wrong time and then everything falls apart and Pinocchio gets caught. Uh, and this is kind of the same thing. I wasn't sure exactly where Alberto was going to go. If he was going to set Luca up for failure, get him caught, get him killed. Uh, because he never really feels like the older brother type until the very, very end.
0: But I, I don't think while yes i think lampwick he does take from lampwick quite a bit and, and he's probably the most comparable to any other disney character um the difference is lampwick as you just said was just looking for a sidekick i don't think alberto was just looking for a sidekick i think he just likes to hear himself talk and found the, you know, without, without, I don't mean this as an insult. He found the most clueless person he could that would just believe anything that he said. Because Luca doesn't know any better.
1: I disagree. I think he has abandonment issues and I think he was looking for a companion. I don't think that he sought Luca out because he just happened to find Luca when they were both going after the human world objects. Um,. But, I mean, he literally pulls him out of the water and into this world. He doesn't even tell him when they're underwater, hey, you can change if you go up to the surface. It, it's just, he goes up, and Lucas sort of follows him, and then he yanks him out.
0: Yeah, but I'm, I mean, yes, and he has abandonment issues, and he does want a companion, but I'm, I'm saying that I feel like he is he's genuine. I don't think that he's a BS artist. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not he doesn't just want any companion per se. I think that he does want one, but he does just pull Luca out of the water, but I think he ultimately does care for Luca. And I'm saying I, I felt that before we even got to the end of the movie. Like I think he is he legitimately does care about him, but as much as he cares about him, he loves listening to himself speak.
1: Oh, there's no doubt that he cares about him because otherwise he wouldn't be so jealous of Julia and threatened by Luca's relationship with her um but yeah i I think you're right. Uh, I would agree with liking to hear himself talk because you know he's going on and on and uh it, it's just we're gonna do this how I want to do it. It's very much my way or the highway
0: a hundred percent
1: eventually when he does win Luca over and they do their Vespa build um, this is like my one critique it's very uh, you know it's minor um, I like that that's the thing for as, as much as Alberto does like to hear himself talk Luca's kind of eating it up because he's like no I gotta go I can't do this and he stays around and he stays around um, and they do the Vespa build and it's like an hour later two hours later we didn't need slates to show the passage of time The best, you know, you're going to see it in the completed Vespa. Uh, You're going to see it with how dirty they're getting. And you're going to see Luca find ways to never really have a foot out the door.
0: They could have done it without the slates. I I thought the slates worked only because I thought it was, I thought it added some comedy to it. Um, But you're right. It it wasn't really necessary. It just took me out of it. But I love this entire Vespa thing. I do too. You know, I remember being a kid and you'd get together with your friends and you build a ramp for your skateboard or your bicycle or you try to build a tree house. I mean, I remember trying to build like a race car with my friends once. So seeing this play out on screen in this movie, I think did accomplish the goal of giving you not just a slice of life, but also sort of putting you in a position, especially as an adult, right? I mean, kids are going to enjoy it because kids are going to enjoy it. But being an adult and watching this film, it does bring you back to your childhood. Obviously, it's what the director was doing. It was the whole purpose of this film. And I think that where the film works at its best, at the root of it, I think this is where it starts and I think this is where it succeeds the most.
1: I completely agree. I think the Vespa was such a smart choice, not only that it's, you know, a metaphor for being able to just take off and go anywhere you want. I mean, you you literally can do that. But it's also the farthest thing from what they have, you know? A boat is not going to be enough for them to float on top of the water that they live in. They want to go explore the land. They want what they really don't have at all. Uh, So I think that that was a clever choice and I like that they incorporated that into Porta Rosa and they did take it one step further with the cup.
0: So the boys or before we even get to the boys being on land, can we talk about what that what is his name? Uh, Uncle Ugo. Can we talk about Uncle Ugo for a moment? Is he not beautifully horrifying?
1: (laughs) They did such a great job and. You know, of course they go and cast Sasha Baron Cohen, who we will talk about later. But uh, he, he's such a great character. He kind of reminds me of uh, Gribble in a way from Mars Needs Moms.
0: He's like Gribble meets Uncle Fester. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, he is wonderfully creepy. And I'm wondering if the casting choice is where they got Bruno from.
0: I hope not. I,
1: I hope not, too. Don't ever watch that movie.
0: Yeah, don't. Just don't. Ever. And please don't put that image in my mind again, ever again, when discussing a Pixar film. <laughs> um. All right. Now, this is what basically sets up them going to land for the rest of the movie because his mom, Br- uh, Luca's mom, I also Bruno's mom, Luca's I thought you said mom...
1: We are going to say Bronzino.
0: Um... She is so upset that he has gone to the surface that instead of, like, trying to reason with him, she's just going to send him off to the deep for two seasons. You want to go for a third? That's great. It Yeah. It's a great line. It's a great line. Um, I feel like they, that was kind of a jump, though, right? Like, I kind of wish that they would have approached him earlier on. He does the old, I'll never do it again. And then he develops that, uh, what do you call him, Shmuka statue, the fake Luca statue. Yes. I would have liked to have seen that after they had a conversation because it would have lent a little bit more to that Lampwick thing. Even though we know that that's not necessarily what's, what's happening, it would have made the parents a little bit more endearing And it would have made the mother's reaction. I understand she's supposed to be the control freak Italian mother. I understand that's what they're going for. But I feel like you didn't do enough to get her there. And if they had a conversation with him and he said, I'll never do it again, and then instead just makes the statue out of rocks, it would have given them a reason to want to punish him and send him to the depths.
1: Right. And that's the other thing, like it sort of escalates quickly. I mean, obviously, they're going to have to take extreme measures because they know that they can't stop him from doing this. But the issue is that they've let him do it for a day. They know what he's doing. So he's already spent the day with Alberto, aside from like the couple of quick trips he took up there. He's already spending full days at a time and they know it. They just couldn't figure out a way to punish him or make him stay until they go to this extreme. I kind of wish, I I agree with you that after a day he got busted, they punished him, it didn't work. I mean, is it tropey? Yes. But it just doesn't seem like they worried enough before they decided to send him away.
0: Well, and this is where a lot of questions could have been answered. Why is the mother so protective? Why is the change normal yet so horrible at the same time? You know, it's like this is this is where you start questioning the movie too much, I think. And this is where some of the burning questions that you have don't ever get answered.
1: I kind of wish they had set it up like the Amish, where they go take a break and give you the option to live outside of the culture. And maybe that's where the parents were getting so upset is because he wasn't ready for it. He's too young.
0: And then he gets a reality show on TLC. (laughs) All right. Now we're back on the land basically for the rest of the movie, right?
1: Right. Because just to clarify, what we were talking about up to this point is going to Alberto's home, his hideout home. Yeah. Uh, now we're going to Porto Rosso. The entrance into Porto Rosso is another blatant ripoff of a beloved Disney film of mine. You're not following. No. Pirates of the Caribbean. They find the canoe on the bottom yes. of the ocean floor and then yep. they ride it into town. I was so angry.
0: That's right. Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, And that's the exact thing that they did.
1: Ooh. The reverse, because they had to get on the ship, but it's the same. And it's such a great sight gag, but you expect it because Captain Jack Sparrow is crafty. I don't know how these two figured it out, you know? They just want a Vespa. (laughs) They don't need to be that crafty. Yeah. They don't need a canoe, they need a Vespa.
0: Yeah, so so they get on the land, and we're here for the rest of the movie. And this is where the pun very much intended, fish out of water thing, actually does start to really hit. When they're just walking around calling people stupido because they don't know what it actually means, and they get the gelato thrown in their face after they get whacked with uh, the handbags and the umbrella. My grandmother did that to me too. Um, <laughs> after that happens, and and they get the gelato, this is where them really being out of touch with the world starts to show, but it works. This, to me, where where a lot of things that have happened so far are kind of tropey or at times feel like a blatant ripoff of other... And it's not just other movies. It's other Disney films. That's the crazy thing. This is where it is unique in how they accomplished what they did.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like the first act has sort of been there, done that. And by the time we get to the second act in Portoroso... You have no idea what's going to happen next because it's not just that they're trying to blend in where they're not accustomed. They have to hide themselves, and it gets very comical when they have to avoid the water.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so good.
1: Especially once Luca's parents get to town and try to locate him and bring him back. That is an ongoing bit that just never gets old.
0: Yeah, let's put a pin in that because I want to talk about that. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. We get them... In, I think it's, what was it, the Piazza? Yes. And this is where they see Ercole for the first time. And they're calling him Mr. Vespa. I love it. Because they think he is literally Mr. Vespa who's going to design a Vespa for them. It's a great introduction. I'll be honest with you, I think Ercole grows on you as an antagonist. Because there's no real villain in this movie, Um, but there is an antagonist. I think he works as an antagonist because he's almost a mirror image of Alberto, if you think about it. It's a great point. He's lying about his age so that he can continue to beat children in a race. He's got his two little henchmen that he just tells them what to do, and they listen to everything that he says, even when he is literally abusing them. Until the end of the movie, they don't care. They just do everything he asks for them gleefully. And he thinks that everybody is impressed by him, and nobody at all is impressed by him, and they know the shtick that he's pulling.
1: He's like a hybrid of the mirror image of Alberto, like you said, which is perfect, and Gaston.
0: Yeah. I think that's spot on
1: here's where I disagree with you though um I think he would be a more effective antagonist if the main focus was hunting sea monsters because as it stands now he's Mr. Vespa he's trying to win this race he's more of an antagonist to Julia than he is to Alberto and Luca until later on when he's really trying to hunt them down but We don't really know why. He, you know, when they're out on the boat, he thinks he sees a sea monster, but he never outright accuses them of being sea monsters. It's never said that that's why he's hunting them. He's really just hunting two boys with a harpoon, which is a little crazy. So I think it would have been much more effective if they built him up as this villain what you think is going to be just by looking at him. And he's out for blood as far as the sea monsters go. And oh, by the way, he's also in this race.
0: I agree. And you bring up Massimo, and you just talked about Julia, because we meet them shortly thereafter. And I love the irony that is living with a fisherman. And I love the irony that is they show him all of the good spots to fish, right? So they literally just put him, It basically just put them in their habitat, in their habitat where they try to avoid humans at all costs so that he can sell enough fish to enter them into this Portorosa cup. Um, yeah, I love everything about what they did here, and I love how they introduced him as a character.
1: I do, too. I love um, that he he looks mean, but he's really a softy. Uh, you know, you think that he's lost his arm in some horrible accident. And later it's revealed. He says, I came into the world this way, which I think is so amazing. Uh, and, and the way they did it was just so tactful and uh, it, it catches you completely off guard. And it, it's just so well done the way that they reveal it. Um, so when we get to Julia and Massimo's home life, this is where they start incorporating the food a little bit. The pesto that Massimo makes looks good enough to eat, but it is literally the only pasta that they make. They make like different types of macaroni and they do have the throwaway line that in the eating portion of the Puerto Rosso cup. It could be anything, so you have to make sure you can eat all different kinds of pasta. But how did they not incorporate more types of... You know, I mean, I, I get it. It's not going to be Ratatouille, right? Because that is so hyper-focused on food. That's It's what the whole movie's about. So I get that we're not going to go there. But even a film like Raya, which we just discussed last week, centered around food and sharing a meal... How, when you're in Italy, do you have one kind of pasta and it's not even a marinara sauce?
0: So I was surprised with that as well because, yes, the purpose of the film is not to expose you to Italian cuisine, but seeing as the whole point of this film was to focus on italian culture and yes there's the coming of age story but you said it in italy for a reason because the director wanted it to be sort of influenced on his upbringing again we go to coco we go to ratatouille we go to raya italian food and big italian meals i mean what's more italian than that
1: Right, I mean, they do a good job of peppering it into the town square. Like you have the espresso shop, you have the gelato. Okay, great, but I'm just so surprised that they didn't lean into the pasta more and show different types of dishes.
0: But sometimes they have lasagna. You know, so Julia, who has no Italian accent, comes in with. We could have this. We could have or lisagna Like, I know this is going to sound dumb to a lot of you. But there is a reason why when she says that, it's nails on a chalkboard for me. And why I am kind of critical over the fact that you have an Italian character with an American accent that every now and again will throw you an Italian accent. I worked with somebody... That I couldn't stand. Nobody that I worked with could stand this person. When we were working in a restaurant with her. And she had like the most nasally South Shore voice like of all time. And would say, I got fresh mozzarella. On the chicken parmesan. I know that like only only I live this life. So only I know why it bothers me that much. But... There's just something about... And you see this in a lot of restaurants. Maybe it's just a New York thing. I don't know. But you see this in a lot of restaurants where you have somebody that has a very thick accent that is regional and they like do their impression of what an Italian accent would be because they think it sounds better. And that's sort of what I'm getting here. It's... You know what I'm talking about. Oh,
1: no, I do. I get offended, not offended by it, but I, it it makes me cringe for different reasons. Like when somebody says ricotta, yikes, but um, no, when people try to do an Italian, not even speak Italian, but what they think it is, they just talk with gusto and that's not it. And I think that that's what is bothersome about Julia. Because when she does say things like lasagna, she just gets, like, louder.
0: It's like galamad. No.
1: Please stop. There's
0: no such thing as galamad.
1: Please stop.
0: All right. Let's move on from this because... We'll be here all night. We'll be here all night. And like I said, a lot of this is regional. So a lot of people are not going to understand this and they really don't want to... You don't want to hear it anymore. Let's move on. Okay. um, Let's get to... Now let's get to the parents actually arriving.
1: Can we actually dial it back for a second? Sure. Because I want to get your opinion on something. Okay. Do you think it might have been more interesting if Alberto and Luca stayed on the island at night and had to cover up all of the going back and forth, as opposed to staying in Julia's treehouse
0: and just trying to hide it? no only because no uh, okay so yes and no it would have made for a very mrs doubtfire-ish sort of uh, desire to cover things up and to hide your identity right to hide your identity and to hide the double life Um, for sure that could have worked But with all of that being said, um, I think because Alberto especially, and then, well, no, and then Luca, and then Luca as well, because they become so fixated on this freedom, and we don't need to live under the sea, we can go and do something else we can be something else it would almost be counterintuitive for them to go back to the island because then why would they have left the island to begin with
1: i see what you're saying i just i go back and forth about this because if they really wanted to hide who they are and stay protected i feel like they would have gone back because they have the perfect little hideout there Maybe it is just too close to Luca's parents, and that's why they didn't want to do it. But, I i mean, it was a clever gag that it rained at night and exposed them. Um, but I just, I don't know, I just kind of find it weird that they're sleeping in a tree. I understand that Massimo and Julia don't necessarily have a guest bedroom that they can stay in, but um, I, I don't know. I don't even remember where we were.
0: Okay, so... <laughs> um... <laughs> we'd had to pause this recording would you okay so it's just so funny though that we've been talking about comparing this to the little mermaid because on our computer that we are recording this show on we obviously have Adobe audition opened up on the other side of the desk we have Jackie's computer turned on for those I'm still working for th- because we have a cut going out so I'm just keeping an eye on that. For those who have been following us for a while, y'all know that we like to collect Disney animation cells and we do win them at auction. Well, it just happened to be that one of the auctions was going on while we were recording this and Jackie just won an animation cell from The Little Mermaid. Uh, Like, irony of ironies.
1: I'm so happy. I won a flounder in an auction a couple of years ago, which I was not expecting. I thought it was going to go for so much more money than it did, and I was able to get it, and I was like, all right, I have Sebastian. If I could get the matching set, that would be amazing. And I just, I can't believe there was, like, not a lot of interest in it. I feel like that was so easy. Meanwhile, Elliot from Peach Dragon has come up at auction a couple, of, a couple of times here, and I've been pushing for it.
0: The Peach Dragon ones that you have tried to get
1: they go for like $800. I'm tapping out at
0: around three. No, thank you. And I mean, I'm not going to say exactly what you spent on Sebastian, but I will just say it's a little bit more than 300 But I don't understand how Sebastian goes for a little over 300 and Elliot goes for like 800 And, and, and the other thing too is like, I understand supply and demand. We've seen a lot of Elliot's come up this summer. Believe me, I've heard you screaming when you haven't won them. <laughs> We don't get a lot of Sebastians. Like We're talking at least a four-to-one ratio here.
1: No, that's why I'm surprised this was so easy. I didn't yell once. All right, I seriously don't remember the point that I was trying to make. Oh, if, if they... um, <laughs> uh, If it would have been more effective if they would have stayed in Alberto's hideaway...
0: Lead the double life.
1: Yes, versus just staying outside of Julia's room. Um realistically I think just because of having to be up early in the morning because that's when you know these fishermen are going out uh it does make more sense because they are up at dawn you know she's sounding her little trumpet and they go out with Massimo right away um but I feel like it would have been much more comedic if there was a reason for them to have to keep dipping in and out every night
0: All right, let's talk comedy. Can we now talk about what happens when the parents get on land?
1: Heck yes.
0: So Luca's parents arrive, and Luca's father, we got a lot of know-it-alls in this movie, Luca's father thinks every child he encounters is Luca and throws them in the water, and they don't change to sea monsters. And you get this really great scene where finally his wife is telling him you can't just keep doing that, and they go to the piazza, And the kids are playing soccer and they kick a ball to her. She's never done it before. She kicks it back too hard, knocks a kid into a fountain. And they spend basically the rest of the movie trying to get kids soaking wet. Whether it's kicking them into a fountain or dumping water on them or hitting them with water balloons. I love everything that happens with the parents the minute they come on land. Here for it.
1: Um, What's funny out the gate is that they can't even identify their son. They look like they're sea monster forms, and so does Luca, really. But it's so funny that they can't pick this kid out of a lineup. Uh, But the, the bit does not get old with them trying to douse every single child in Puerto Rosso. It's amazing.
0: It is amazing. You know what else is amazing? While that's happening, you're getting this relationship that's growing between Luca and Julia... In sort of a are-they-or-aren't-they kind of thing, but they're so young that it is very innocent, what I actually love and what I think is amazing is the relationship that Alberto starts to develop with Massimo, and it has nothing to do with the irony that he is getting along with a fisherman. It becomes so clear in retrospect, because you don't really realize it the first time you see it. In retrospect, he is so trying to fill the void that his own father left with Massimo, and you can see why. And again, it's not something you're going to notice the first time you see the film. But upon second viewing and third viewing, the way he latches onto him, And is just all about, yeah, let's get to work. Let's get our hands dirty. There's just something so wonderful about what they did here.
1: Right, because when this relationship starts and they offer to show him where the fish are, it's to throw him off of their scent. And it's almost like a keep your friends close and your enemies closer kind of a situation. And then, yes, you do get this incredible relationship that develops and... You know, I think it does go both ways. That it's Alberto, obviously, clinging to a father figure, but I think that Massimo enjoys finding the son that he never had. Not that's not to say that he's disappointed in Julia in any way, or that they're dwelling on. You know, I wish I had a boy to teach him these things. Because it's not that type of story. It doesn't call for it. It would have been completely unnecessary. But the fact is, the parents are not together. They do say as much. Julia's mother is not dead. She just lives uh, in Genoa. And Julia is only here for the summer. So I think from Massimo's perspective, it's that he realizes that he's not necessarily going to have a son. And going one step further, it's that Julia is going to leave. After the summer is over. so Going back to school. Yeah. I think maybe he is, you know, subconsciously hoping that Alberto is going to stick around. You mentioned the are they or aren't they with Julia. I think the more interesting are they or aren't they is Alberto and Luca.
0: So a lot of people thought that at first. But the director has since come out and said while he supports people latching on to that idea... And finding solace in it and finding courage in it and and loving the symbolism of it, he said that was not at all what the purpose of the story was. It was as simple as two young boys enjoying a summer, getting into mischief, and sort of discovering themselves.
1: Right, because it is supposed to be reminiscent of his childhood, I think that he wanted to debunk that he was trying to make the animated Call Me By Your Name. But I don't think that you can deny that the relationship between Alberto and Luca does have sort of blurred lines as they are trying to figure out who they are.
0: I think the blurred lines are more for Alberto than they are for Luca.
1: I agree. And I don't think that the director saying, no, it's not Call Me By Your Name. I don't, I don't think that that was a homophobic statement at all. I think it's just that he was pissed off that he was getting accused of plagiarism
0: Yeah, more than anything else. For sure.
1: Um, so I kind of like that there is sort of that ambiguity here.
0: Yeah. Um, it. I mean, it made for an interesting, it made for an interesting wrinkle in the story. I mean, we know that that's not what they meant to do. But I actually, and I support the fact that he is supporting that, even though that's not the film that he made, if that's what people took away from it, that he's 100% about it. Right. Um, Okay, let's talk about how they train up for this race, right? Because it's not necessarily a traditional training montage, but it kind of is the espresso. I love the espresso, how Luca and Alberto can't stay awake, and she gives them the espresso and they are literally bouncing off the walls. But w- listen, as tropey as it may be, I love me a good training montage. And I think that they do it well here.
1: For sure. Uh, nothing does it quite like Mighty Ducks 2. But same, I love a good training montage as much as I love a NASA celebration.
0: Um. All right. Now, we're getting towards the end of the movie here. There's not much left to talk about. I think the most important scene, even more so than them winning this race, if I'm being honest with you, and I think even more so than Luca going to school and having Alberto sell the Vespa, is the scene where Luca turns on Alberto. It cuts so deep. It's so good. It's so good because it's so good that it's so bad. You know what I'm saying? Like... When Luca just points at him and goes, Sea Monster! It, It hurts. It hurt me to hear him say that.
1: And I never expected it. Because that's not his character. Because he is such a good person and he is such a loyal friend. And, you know, his goals are the same as Alberto's. He's just been trying to evade his parents this entire time. You never expect there to be such a divide in their friendship.
0: And what's interesting is in the moments leading up to that, it's Alberto that's out there to expose them because his jealousy of the over the relationship that Julia and Luca have, he's going to completely sell Luca out and expose him for what he really is. The, in that moment, you're about to be so angry at Alberto and in a you know, in a flash, he is so sympathy you you have so much sympathy towards him and your anger gets redirected at Luca. It's just amazing how they built that moment up and then turned it on its head
1: yeah, completely unexpected and then Luca does act in character by going after Alberto and trying to set things right It's there that you find out about Alberto's father, which I kind of feel like was a little bit late to the party. I agree. I think you needed to set up that as a motivation earlier on, because now it just—I don't—it just, don't just kind of makes him seem bitter.
0: And I, at that point, you, it's sort of like you're piling on the kid, right? Like, yes, like the sea monster line was—that was harsh enough. I don't think you needed to continue to pile on but with all of that being said um they have the race they win it I- i'll be honest with you i don't really have much for the end of this movie because i think i don't i'm not going to say they rushed through the first third of the movie they didn't rush through the first act but it it was clear that they really wanted to get you to portorosa right Or right. portoroso um and i feel like after they have all of these moments on Portoroso, it leads up to this race, and then they kind of just get it over with.
1: I kind of feel like, if anything, the middle, the, the second act is what's rushing because I, I actually disagree. I think the third act is pretty strong, and that's the one that seems to stretch out for me because, like I said, Luca goes back to sort of make amends with Alberto. Uh, and then decides to go and do this race on his own. I wish we had more motivation for him doing it on his own and not honoring the promise that he made to Julia. I mean, I I understand he's got to get all the prize money now to get the Vespa to make it up to Alberto, but, you know, he is friends with both of them. He has proven that he wants to be with both of them in equal measure. So... You tried to make amends with Alberto. Why do you need the grand gesture for him and not for Julia? So I think we needed a little bit more definition there, but you do get your payoff in this really amazing moment where Alberto accepts Luca's apology and he tries to help him out because of course it rains. Um, and we'd be remiss for not mentioning, uh, how beautiful and well done the sequence is where they're weaving in and out of these little alleyways and climbing this hill in the race. So Luca gets to the top of the hill and for as much of a slice of life film as this has been to this point, now your action kicks in because you've got Ercole and Julia hot on his tail and it starts to rain and he can't go out in the rain otherwise he's going to risk exposing himself and Alberto comes to his rescue with an umbrella and then everything falls apart for both of them. But this is where Luca clearly decides who he is and that he is going to embrace both who he is as a sea monster and what he wants to be as a human. And he decides to go out in the rain. Uh, They finish the race. And yeah, as far as the race ending, it's sort of anticlimactic, but the train station is really where it's at. You know, they got the Vespa and Alberto decides to sell it so that he can pay for the train ticket for Luca to go to school, which is a huge gesture. Uh, But I, I think it is sort of a selfish one because the end result is Luca wants to go to school. He gets his way and Alberto gets to stay with Massimo. Which is just as much him getting his way too. He just figured out what it was that he really wanted. But I love that moment. Uh, I don't want to take away from it how amazing it is that he tells Luca, you got me off that island. I am going to be okay. I feel like where it's sort of confusing as far as what these characters' motivation is at times, that forgives everything that came before
0: it. I wouldn't say that what Alberto did was selfish because while he got what he want, while he got what he wanted, being able to stay with Massimo, he did get rid of the thing he really wanted, so that he could send Luca on the train with Julia to school.
1: It was selfless, but there is something in it for him too.
0: Right. All right. Let's start talking about these these characters and the cast. Jacob Tremblay plays Luca.
1: We know him from Room.
0: Which was such a strange movie. Um,
1: <laughs> well, it was better once you found out what, what the plot was. When we watched Room, Sean went in knowing absolutely nothing about this film. So you see Brie Larson. She plays the mother in the movie with her son. He goes, I understand live within your means, but can't you get the kid a birthday candle? And I was like, Sean, they're being held captive. And he was like, oh, this is really interesting.
0: Weird movie. (laughs) Weird movie.
1: But Jacob Tremblay was great in that, and he's great in this too.
0: I agree. Jack Dylan Grazer plays Alberto. Um, I thought the actor did fine with a character that is a little too heavy-handed and deliberate at times. I mean, I think the character's got depth. Obviously, he wins you over in the end, but I said it before and I'll say it again, the know-it-all thing, too much, too soon, too early.
1: I agree, but I do think Alberto really redeems himself. I love the way that they unravel this character. I think he's got an even bigger arc than Luca, and I love the performance. Um, We know Jack Dylan Grazer from It um, and... He's great in that movie and I think that translates over to animation. I mean really across the board uh all all these kids did an amazing job.
0: Yeah. Emma Berman plays Julia. I really like this character a lot. I I love how sweet she is, how innocent she is, how passionate she is. um I thought that she made. A good subplot, a good sidekick, and a good character to both of them.
1: I agree. Except for the forcing those Italian lines, which I don't think is necessarily her fault. I think that's what she was told to do. Yeah. So I'm not going to blame her for
0: that. Uh, Severio Raimondo plays Ercole. And uh, I said it before. He grows on you as an antagonist. Um, He gets his comeuppance on the end or in the end, I should say. Um, yeah, it was it was fine. You love to hate him. Exactly. Maya Rudolph plays Luca's mother, Daniela. Maya Rudolph is, and I've said this about a lot of people in a lot of different films, I say it almost every week, is good in everything, and Maya Rudolph is fine here. I She's good in everything, but she was fine here, but I don't think that's so much a fault of Maya Rudolph, so much as it is that this character just leaves me asking more questions than getting answers I've this is just the i'm i'm a, i'm an overbearing mother because i'm a, because i am
1: right but i feel like her personality didn't shine through her character
0: well she's not going to be the star of the movie
1: she's not but i feel like you know she's one of those actresses where it's like that is maya rudolph you know where even just hearing her voice you should be able to identify it right away I feel like, because she, she kind of has a little bit of an accent, I feel like she lost it for this, which, I mean, I, I, I guess you kind of have to, otherwise it's going to call to your attention too much that it's not Italian.
0: But Jim Gaffigan is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he plays Lorenzo, um, Luca's father. He's Italian in name, um, it, you know, Um uh, yeah, he, if there's anybody that's wasted in this movie, it's Jim Gaffigan. But again, he's not going to be the star of the movie. He's not going to shine through with his style of humor, how funny he actually is. But I hate to say it, he could have been anybody. Well, he
1: should have been Stanley Tucci, quite honestly. Like, how, how did we not get him for this well, in
0: any role? Have you Have you heard the names I've read off so far? There's been one Italian so far.
1: I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this film got whitewashed, because there are plenty of other films where it was way more egregious. But for Coco, everybody was Latino. So how are we not doing that here? It's not like there's a shortage of Italian actors.
0: No, and even in Raya. You know, they made sure in Raya that, you know, they had gotten, for the most part an asian cast or an asian american cast together i'm just you know listen i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that um the cast is bad i'm just surprised that for a movie set in italy you didn't have more italians with an
1: italian director
0: for sure uh speaking of, marco Pericelli plays yeah, okay. massimo so <laughs> we got two we got two um yeah, he was fine. Again, he was fine. I thought the character was great. He did a fine enough job with it. Agreed. All right. Final thoughts on this movie? Um, I'll go first. Here's the thing. I love the music. I think the animation is outstanding. I love the setting. I think the the research that they did in bringing this world to life, to, to really making a accurate depiction of the Italian Riviera... Making it accurate in a Pixar film, I mean, you couldn't have done any better. But I think, for a lack of better term, there's too much quote-unquote relevance that was left on the floor. What's relevant about Bruno? What's relevant about the change? What's relevant about why we can't go to the surface except we naturally can go to the surface and we can camouflage ourselves? So if it happens naturally, if it occurs naturally, why don't we do it? There's just too many questions that don't get answered and I wish that they had. That, to me, is why this is a good movie when it should be a great movie.
1: I agree with most of what you're saying. Um, Setting wise, animation wise, music, it fires on all cylinders. It's beautiful. Uh, I love that it does feel so timeless in that you're getting the 50s, you're getting that music. It complements the time capsule that Portaroso is supposed to be because, you know, even if this movie was supposed to take place. Now, in 2021, it would still look the same. You're still going to have that architecture. You're still going to have those old world buildings. So I think in that regard, they knocked it out of the park. Even, you know, the underwater stuff, it's all beautiful. Um, But story-wise, this was one of those films where I had to actually force myself to focus on look at it for what it is and not what it isn't. And that's what I was talking about in the beginning, is that for the people who don't like it, I think it's the people that are expecting a classic Pixar, like a Toy Story, like an Inside Out, like an Up, where you're going to sit there going, why did I watch this? I'm sobbing now. So I think that Pixar is trying to take a departure from those types of things. Um... And even still bearing all of that in mind, I don't love it the way that I wanted to. I thought for sure that a movie that was so heavily influenced by Italian culture, I was absolutely going to fall in love with being Italian. Uh, But that's just not enough for me. I'm not going to sit here and be biased about it and say it was a great movie just because I am Italian. uh, When I just think that certain things were lacking... Um I can appreciate it for being a slice of life movie and that you do have to look a little bit deeper than a beginning, middle and end. But there were still certain things that were missing story wise that stops this from being an instant Pixar classic.
0: We want to know what you have to say about Luca. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up as well as a contest. But first, a quick break. Hey, guys. My name is Mike. I listen to Jackie and Sean's podcast every week on my commute into work. So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake, because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if
1: you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, You can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at com.
0: News of the Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. We're finally hosting events again. We're hosting weddings again. If you are and you're looking for that touch of Disney flair, Kelly has you covered whether it's save the dates, invites, thank you cards, table numbers, etc and so forth. Plus listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. To see all of her work, go to karmaandkismetdesigns.com That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com We have so much news this week. It's ridiculous. We have a lot of Disney Plus news and we've got some parks news. Let's start with the Disney Plus stuff first. High School Musical the Musical the Series has been renewed for a third season. If you could all see the look on Jackie's face. It's not as excited as it was when she won that animation cell.
1: <laughs> um not A fan of this show what I will say though is that I think Olivia Rodrigo is bonkers talented uh you know I think everybody's comparing her to Taylor Swift with the breakup songs I actually compare her more to Alanis Morissette she is angry and I think that Disney is going to capitalize on that for as long as they can so I'm not going to be surprised when we're announcing High School Musical, the musical, the series, season six. What I will say, though, this is clever. They are not doing, thank God, High School Musical 2, Sharpay's Country Club, uh, Sleepaway Camp. I think that's actually pretty clever. It still covers a summer vacation, but there's a reason they would be in camp.
0: It's going to be like Camp Rock. Oh, God, I thought they were doing a musical version of the horror film Sleepaway Camp. (laughs) That's what I thought you were implying. I was going to be like, damn, I want to watch season three. (laughs) No, they are going to a summer camp. Okay. Less intriguing, but yeah, okay. It's better than High School (laughs) Musical 2. WandaVision, so far, has won three Emmys. I say so far because the Emmys used to be one night and it's not right now they they keep extending and like they're slowly announcing the winners of this thing
1: well emmys were always daytime emmys and primetime emmys so it was always multiple ceremonies i have just never seen it go over days like this but this should be a surprise to no one wandavision was nominated for 23 emmy awards so the odds are very much in their favor. They've gotten three so far, and it was a first-time Emmy win for Marvel.
0: Yeah, production design. Um, the Lopez's won music for Av- uh, Agatha All Along, which makes all the sense in the world. And it won Outstanding Sci-Fi slash Fantasy Costumes, which it should, it absolutely should. Okay, let's let's talk about of all of the Disney Plus news. This is the thing I am most excited about. There's a little bit more Disney Plus news to talk about after that, but I want to talk about this first because we're on the topic of Marvel. The Hawkeye trailer dropped this week.
1: I damn near fell out of my chair.
0: November 24th, it debuts. It's not just a film. It is a series on Disney Plus. It is... Marvel meets a 90s New York City Christmas adventure. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this, because if I'm being honest with you, Loki didn't do it for me. WandaVision had a lame ending. I wasn't really a big fan of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So Marvel, to me, outside of its cinematic stuff, has kind of been lackluster, but my god, am I all in on Hawkeye?
1: Yeah, this was I, I mean when when they were talking about the launch of Disney Plus, this was not a title that I thought we would be crazy excited for. But with that said, Hawkeye has grown on me so much more over the years. I I didn't like him at all. I didn't get him in the first Avengers and as time went on and especially with Endgame, um I mean, he's he's one of my favorites now actually. So, I was happy that we were getting more of him and this just knocked my socks off. It was not at all what I was expecting. Like you said, '90s Christmas in New York. It's like Home Alone meets Die Hard, uh, and Rogers, the Musical. Are you freaking kidding me?
0: I love. You know, this is going to be one of those things that I think you and I, after the, maybe the second episode, if it, if they really like lean into the trope of the Christmas puns, I can see us being up at three a.m. on Friday mornings to watch this.
1: And never did I expect that from Hawkeye, but. Yeah, I I can see that happening.
0: Last bit of Disney Plus news. And I'm really interested in getting your perspective on this because we just discussed Flight of the Navigator a couple of months ago.
1: We did talk about this when we discussed it, but we had very little information.
0: And if I remember correctly, I was very much much against it. And I think you were against it.
1: No, I had said it could do with a remake and didn't know that they were doing it.
0: And that was
1: the first I had heard of it was when we sat down to review this.
0: It got announced. Officially. Officially.
1: With talent.
0: Yeah, it'll be a female lead directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I I will die on the hill if this movie doesn't need a reboot i I don't think it's necessary I mean I understand I understand why they're doing it but quite honestly do something original you know what I mean like give us something else I don't think it needs a remake I would I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing like a sequel to it you know like if 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 the if the ro- you know if the ship came back and found a new kid but even then you mean it's 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 six of one half a dozen of the other it's that or it's a reboot i'm i'm just getting i'm getting tired of hollywood just rebooting things because let's reboot it
1: right um my bigger fear is that they're going to change the ship because they're going to think it needs to be more futuristic no
0: It's going to be CGI, and it's going to look dumb.
1: uh, Yeah, that's where it's, well, leave well enough alone. But there were a couple of story elements that we had talked about where, you know, we thought they could maybe be improved on, so that I'd be curious to see. What I'm most nervous about is that Bryce Dallas Howard couldn't get a boom out of The Mandalorian, so we're going to give her a whole movie now? Yeah. I mean, I get it. People make mistakes. There are things that you just don't catch. We said it before. I am sending out a cut tonight and there are things that we watched today and we went, "Oh no, that cannot go on television." Yeah, but you caught it. Well, I'm saying.
0: Um eh I'm not I'm not really enthusiastic about this one. I hope it's great. I really do. I hope it's great. I'm not rooting against them. That would just be dumb. I hope it's great. But for a movie that I didn't grow up with, I certainly am passionate about it because I loved it that much. All right, Parks News. The Disney 50 gold statues have been rolled out in Disney fashion overnight.
1: I think people knew they were coming, though, because there were a lot of media friends that were down there that first day. Uh, they look even more beautiful oh, yeah. than I had imagined. Um, I love how Disney, not just Disney though, if you weren't paying attention on social media, I mean, you really have to be following every single facet of Disney on social media to have seen the build-up to these characters. They released one like every couple of days leading up to it. Uh, they had all of these different people introduce the characters and uh, why they were chosen and what they meant to them personally. So I really love how they went about it and uh, brought us along for the ride. Um, but what they showed in those videos is is not even close to how gorgeous these things are. And I thought they were all going to be sort of like the... Um, The ones that are around the partner statue. The
0: tiny ones.
1: Not just the tiny ones, but I thought they were just going to be on pedestals. I didn't realize they were going to hide these things in the architecture, in signage. They're everywhere. So it's going to be like finding Hidden Mickeys. I'm very excited.
0: I can't wait to see these things in person. Something that I can't wait to see in person, and we'll see it eventually. Unfortunately, we miss it this year, just by virtue of when we're going to Disney is the return of the Candlelight Processional. I mean, look, we've never seen it. We saw when they put it up, I think last year, while we were all sitting at home staring at that wall again, Um, they did put, I think it was the Neil Patrick Harris one. Didn't yes. Disney Parks put one on YouTube and it was like a big viewing party? It's incredible. Yes, I mean, sitting there watching it on TV, I thought, my God, this is just like hauntingly beautiful. I cannot imagine what it must be like to be surrounded by it, to to see it, to be there. I can't wait for the day that we get to experience it. But I know for our friends who either have vacations booked in December or are Disney World locals, they are so excited that this has come back.
1: Yeah, I do hope that they do some sort of watch party again because it was amazing. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it, but to see it was something else. And I can't even imagine what it must be like in person. I can't wait for that.
0: Yeah, we want to know if you guys are going to go see the return of the Candlelight Processional. Have you seen the Disney 50 statues? How do you feel about any of the content coming to Disney Plus? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. It is contest time. And I am really excited for this giveaway. We've got some really cool stuff here.
1: Yes, we've been compiling it. And we're finally ready to put it out
0: there. All right, so we have some really cool stuff. We've got the traditional monoreal radio t-shirt. We've also got a phenomenal straw charm from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. It is a uh, a grim grinning ghost right in time for your Halloween season. But we've got two really cool Luca pieces to give away. We have a Luca Funko Pop. Sea Monster Luca. Sea Monster Luca. Not Human
1: Luca. Silencio Bruno. We got the good one.
0: And we got a color-changing mug.
1: Which I don't really want to give away, I'll be honest with you. We have too many mugs and we don't have space for it, but I love this thing. I love the color changers. I hope they do more of them.
0: Didn't stop you from buying another animation cell tonight. We have no room. But hey, you know, let's not keep the mug. We're going to give it to you. We're not giving you any, any cells, though, but we will give you the mug. Okay, so really simple way to enter to win. First, you have to be following Monoreal Radio on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Because we're going to post this contest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So you have to follow us, first and foremost.
1: And you can enter across multiple platforms. Bingo. Better your
0: odds. So make sure that you're following us on all three platforms for more chances to win. All you have to do, other than follow us, is like the post and tag a friend. That's it. Like a post and tag a friend you have from now until Tuesday, September 21st, 2021 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to enter to win because the podcast that'll get released on that day will also be the show where the winner is announced. OK, so you have you've got a week. You got a week. Make it count. That's for The Funko Pop, the Color Changing Mug, the Monoreal Radio t-shirt, and the really great Straw Charm from the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget, follow us on all of that aforementioned social media as well as TikTok. We're there at Monoreal Radio. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to all of the social media, plus the email and the podcast, it's online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.